multi-team or even whole organisational agility, business agility, whatever it is you would like to label it as, has never been easy. And there has been a huge number of frameworks over the years that have come and gone. Some have stood the test of time, others haven't. But all of them, well, I say all of them, most of them have had pretty good, strong values at their core. This podcast exists to help you, to help you get to grips with how to scale, or even just how to be a better agilist and agile leader yourself. To accelerate your performance here at Less Matters, we are going to be having lots of chats with people that maybe have never even heard of Less before, but have brilliant, informative, valuable things to share with all of us. So, here we go. Without any further ado, let's get on to this week's Less Natter. Welcome back, everyone. This is another Less Matters podcast, and we are here for a little Less Natter. What we are here to really think about is a broader sense is multi-team agile and working with multiple teams, really, whether that be in small organisations or large organisations. So we are joined by Jack Hughes, uh, the the one and only Jack Hughes. Um, if you're familiar with LinkedIn you're and agile, you're probably familiar with Jack. So it's an honour and a pleasure for him to be here with me today. Jack, welcome. Thank you for having me on. It's much appreciated. I, I was saying before... I've got big respect for the consistency that you are producing content at the moment. I think, uh, yeah, it's great. Well done. And it's good to see differences of opinion. I've watched a few back. I've actually got a question or for you later on when we talk about scaling. So I'm looking forward to that. Probably more advice, to be honest. You can send me the invoice later. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for having me on. Oh, but it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, and and I, I must have, I should have flagged this. I should have contracted maybe before we begin begun because I do have a habit of uh, planning what I'm going to say, and then stuff just comes out. So if at any point you're like, "What are you talking about?" or I don't want to answer that, just say, "Ben, you're talking shit," and uh, and we can gloss over it and move on. I've made a career out of it so far, so don't worry. Brilliant, mate. <laughs> what a, and what a career it's been. So, Jack. We were talking before we began about topics, perhaps, and I think you and I, over the last, or maybe me for the last few months, and you more recently, have been working with clients, and the one thing that popped into my head was how do we begin with a client and do it that really lays the foundations for success? Yeah, so I, I'm pretty transparent and I'm a pretty open book. And my wife always tells me I can't hide. I can't like I've, I've got a rubbish poker face. So I came into this in, in quite a uh, quite a bad mood. I did pre warn you, um, but the reason for that is 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 to the point that we're going to get onto about contracting and expectations. And in this agile community, it can be quite intangible at times especially when you're being asked to become the agile coach. I think if you're, again, there's so many things that people will disagree with, but that's the point of having a mind, you can, you can change it. So when I say agile, I'm just going to use the term agile practitioner. If you're going into somewhere as an agile practitioner and you're being you're setting out with a team, whether you're implementing Kanban, Scrum, whatever, 
It can be, as a team, a bit more tangible. So we are delivering, we've delivered 7 out of 10 sprint goals. Our lead time is reduced by X, Y, and Z. When you're going in, going in as the agile coach, for those of you on the audio, I've just made sarcastic inverted commas. Those metrics can sometimes be a bit intangible. And the out-of-the-box answer that I read is you have to contract with your client. And that's great if if you have access to the end consumer of that potential coaching. But sometimes when people bring you in, then you then have to introduce yourself to the people they expect you to coach. So it can be difficult when something along the lines of the agile coach needs to be doing more agile coaching with leadership. Well, yes, probably, but that also takes a bit of compromise in terms of I've offered, this is the service offering, um, I've had an initial conversation, they know it's available, whether that be agile coaching or professional coaching, if people don't pull on that service, it can be very hard. So the way I go about it is to make lots of small contracts with the people who are actually interested and can be influenced or, or want help, coaching, mentoring, whatever. And then hopefully, a bit more organically, those leaders can put up their periscope, for want of a better analogy, and say, oh, there's some good stuff happening there, and I want to engage. I think contracting up front is great if you have access to the people you are expected to help. But if you don't, or they're, they're time restricted, it can be difficult. Yeah, contracting... I always see as the initiation of a partnership and it's difficult to be in a partnership with someone who's being told that they have to get support from you. Yeah. So yeah. when you go into a situation and they're like, oh, and you need to support, you need to coach these leaders and the leaders don't have any interest. How can you form a partnership with people who don't really trust, respect or know you or want the help? Like there isn't, then it becomes a, a one-sided contract and you wouldn't, yeah. you know, it's interesting. From an ICF perspective, you, know, you wouldn't ethically get away with going and co- doing a contracting session with someone and then can, then forcing coaching upon them because that wouldn't be allowed. But yet it kind of feels like, and maybe it's a lack of education or knowledge, but sometimes you go into a situation and they're like, oh, you have to go and coach this person. Well, that person ain't, ain't ready for no coaching from me or from anyone, it seems. Yeah. So is that something around scoping it? Because I had a client... And initially, they were saying, oh, we want to introduce you to the UK CEO and and the board and get you working with the board. And very unlike me, because this isn't a behavior which I'm known to have in the past, I said no, because I just figured that if I did, they'd be like, who is this person? I've got no idea of their credentials. I've got no idea what they can do. I, I don't know. I wouldn't know what to measure them on, even if you held a gun to my head. So... I decided to risk it and kind of explain that and say, well, how about I just work with the like products and tech initially and let's run some experiments and let's get something which is meaningful. And then hopefully they'll look at that and say, wow, okay, like we want to know more about this. We want to be more engaged. And thankfully that client was really up for it. I, I, I lucked out in that respect, but I really felt like I was gambling it a little bit because I was re-scoping what they'd initially asked me to do. Yeah, I get that. Sometimes you have to 
make it clear what you're what you can't do <laughs> which yeah. is a difficult conversation to have when you're especially when you're self-employed but setting those expectations of it does need a level of commitment you don't forget i mean i don't mean you i mean you the organization are choosing to bring me in like you're paying for me to be here so to get the best out of me we need to have that partnership <laughs> and we probably need to let the leadership know that this is going to happen so they at least they have a choice and it's always a choice right and we're not we're not crowbarring our way into these organizations but i almost think there's a bit of accountability from both sides in terms of you know if if people do not want it's quite offensive isn't it ben you I, you need a coach yeah, I, I, i'm offended now jack yeah this do, podcast do, is over yeah cancelled but um yeah like <laughs> it forcing coaching on someone could cause more harm than good because then we're assuming that there's something wrong with this individual they might yeah. just have no interest in agility or or having a coach we can explain the benefits i know the benefits of fitness but I still have a choice whether to partake in it or not. Mm. Um, so we can't... But then with, with fitness, it's easier to measure, isn't it? Because let's say you're trying to run a quicker 10K. Yeah. You've got an yeah, objective sure. time. And this is what I find, you know, getting back to the measurement option, when you're in that initial expectation setting and yeah, how in, and, and they're saying, you know, we want you to get involved with leadership, but they're not in the room. And maybe you say, okay, well, how do we... How do we engage them if they don't want to engage in this process? Is this the right thing to do? Like, how how can we set some initial measures for what could be deemed as success? I say success, but success is an overly loaded term. I think that I'm what I'm really talking about is performance benefits. Right? We're not we're not doing this because just because it makes people feel better, we generally want to make people feel better so that they can perform better. We're looking yeah. to increase the performance of, of, of organizations, whether it's economically or, or culturally, whatever it may be. So what could those measures be which enabled us to then make the case to the senior people or rescape the work? I mean, there's the, there's the out-of-the-box measurements, like, um, I suppose, surveys, morale sort of teamy happiness metrics i mean more practically the amount of times leaders end up coming to something like a sprint review if it's you know zero times out of five one could argue that's a success metric in terms of we know there's a problem and there's something to improve on um yeah leadership leadership engagement um in terms of things like that and how how engaged are they in planning in terms of are they giving the solutions or are they open to the solutions but again that's you can't really put a percentage on that that is more i don't know i'm open to ideas I'm thinking on my feet but yeah. it, it is quite intangible percentage of leadership involvement has gone up or down it's quite a hard thing to measure i think i don't know about your experience it's I know my my friend John Coleman explained to me he came back last year said that he's had a, like he's been against this for years but had, has had a surprising amount of success measuring 
the the frameworky elements of frameworks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- really surprised at actually measuring attendance in events or frequency of events or the events happening. He was really surprised at the positive impact that had. That isn't something I've tried for years, but he said it was useful. Impediments, I, sorry, just thinking on my feet. Ah, Imped, impediment removal percentage in terms of we yeah. had this, we had this many on the board. However, whatever you label it as, four weeks time, is it doubled? Is it tripled? Of thing, yeah. things, you know, a leadership more involved in impediment removal. That's something actually. I think it is. It really is because this is. You said, what, what do I do? The one thing that I've always tried to measure, but it's always been so hard to get it to stick, is the average impediment resolution cycle time. Yeah, it's a good one. You know, and saying right, and when something breaches the average, then it goes up to the senior person. And I just love that idea, but I've just been fascinated at how difficult it is for people to do that because, well, not for people to do it, for people to really see the value in it because it's it's huge. I always think such a great, you know, looking at the number, the number of impediments, new ones, age, cycle time, it could be such a useful thing to measure. But then we ask ourselves, would we as agile whatevers, how many of us would be willing to put our necks on the line for reducing that, really, truly? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But I suppose it's setting up that environment for people to take ownership of it, of it I suppose. And I think as this is very much a self-employed thing or a freelance thing, we have to remember we're going into their house. So there is an element of building that trust I'm a strong believer in consistent actions, build that trust. So you are you showing up? Mm-hmm. Are you putting on regular knowledge sharing things? Are you giving the opportunity for, for people to pull on your services? And yeah, it takes time, but trust does take time. Nothing, you know, no relationship is built on is built on trust straight away. No. Golden nuggets there, mate. You're saying about the consistency, so offering knowledge shares, making yourself available. You said so that people can pull when they're needed. One, one thing I've found quite handy, and it's it's hasn't it hasn't always worked, and again, it's intangible. Is doing like a Monday email, especially in organisations that are new to this stuff. So I don't know how to how to get started with user story mapping. What's the difference between safe and less? What are the five Scrum events? Just little blog posts, if you like. Luckily. I've got enough of that nonsense anyway, so I can just copy and paste it. <laughs> but if you do that every Monday and then you don't do it, I more or less guarantee someone will say, oh, you know, have they stopped? Or if you stop doing it for a week or two weeks and then send it again, I more or less guarantee someone will say, oh, I'm glad to see these back. When you ask for feedback, no mm-hmm. bugger will give you any. So you, so, so you have to, you have, <laughs> it is a bit disheartening when, you're asking, are these useful? What else would you like? And no one gets back to you. But people will create a little folder, put Jack or Ben's stuff, and they will come back to it eventually. Or they'll go, oh, I've got mm. a question about that. He wrote about it or she wrote about it. It's just little things like that, I think. But they're very th- they're very hard to justify as well. A marketing expert said to me yesterday, actually, that from the stats that she's seen, it takes on average, and this maybe isn't the same for little knowledge articles, but for leads, like creating leads or marketing, uh, seven emails. Yeah. 
seven emails in your inbox before you look at it and say like, oh, okay, actually, this is what yeah. I'm going to click on. And you know, I, I kind of, I see that I get a lot of, a lot of emails through from many different organizations. And after a while, I'm like, okay, what are, what yeah. are these people about? <laughs> so yeah, even if you're, so you're saying that even if you, you send them out, you get a good cadence, even if you're hearing nothing back, like, don't stop, keep it up. And I wonder then if we're, you know, as we are kind of getting near the 50 or beyond the 15 minute mark. And we did say, wanted to keep this one short. If we reflect back then and say, we're going to go into this contracting situation. We're looking to set expectations at the beginning. One is what are some interesting measurements? Maybe it's around like resol- impediment resolution cycle time. Maybe it's around uh, morale or engagement or leadership engagement. How do we measure that? Perhaps it's around looking at the attendance of events or feedback on events, that kind of thing. But then also in that initial expectation setting, would you lay down and say, and every week I'm going to send out this email and every, and I'm going to make my services available to to this group of people on this frequency? Like, Would you include that in that initial? I think so. I, I think that's a good, if, you've, if you can have that flexibility. Like something we're doing now in, in, in the place that's taken most of my time, and I'll be quick, is to say, well, we haven't got enough agile practitioners, so we need something to say, this is what we do. If people don't know what's on the menu, they're not likely to order it. So what is our service offering? You know, What are our office hours? What are our things people can take off the shelf? And hopefully that will drive some momentum. You reminded me, I saw a post on LinkedIn today where someone's done a lovely infographic of their working hours, how to contact them, how they like to work. I saw that. Was it Steve? Yeah, I think it might have been. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. like that. Yeah, Steve, if you listen to this. Shout out. Yeah, Yeah. shout out to Steve. Yeah, nice one, Steve. Steve, I mean, there's only one Steve on LinkedIn, so I'm pretty sure Steve will uh, receive the message. I'll I'll tag him. (laughs) No, it was, um, yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, probably something like that would be really interesting. Yeah. Now, we are at time, and there's a lot of stuff that I would love to spend time talking about in relation to this but maybe we can pick it up or pick up a similar topic next time we talk jack see you then well thank you everyone for listening we're gonna draw this one to a close i hope you found that useful interesting i'll put as much as the much as useful stuff as i can do in the show notes and me and jack will be back so thank you for listening and we'll see you soon what a brilliant conversation do you know what i really enjoy talking to people as you can probably tell so i hope you've enjoyed listening to it too Now, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, give us your feedback. The more attention that we get, the easier it makes it for me to free up the time to record these podcasts and edit them, to add videos onto the YouTube channel for Less Matters community. So please do give us your feedback, share it, like it, love it, give us your suggestions. My name is Ben Maynard. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Less Matters podcast. Until next time, stay safe. And we'll see you then.